Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Welcome to Deep Tracks Only, a brand new music podcast exploring underappreciated songs from the world's best songwriters. My name is Patrick Heisey, and I am super excited to be talking about these songs with you. However you found me, I'm really grateful that you're listening and you're along for the ride. I don't want to spend too much time introducing myself because I think you'll get to know a lot about me as I go on throughout this series. A lot of the songs I'll be discussing have personal stories attached that will provide a lot of background information about me. But I will say that I am a professional musician in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I am also working on a master's degree in music education from Carnegie Mellon University. Before we get into this episode's song, I wanted to talk for a minute about why I wanted to do this podcast. For one, talking about music and specifically sharing music has always been one of my very favorite things. I love being turned on to music I haven't heard before. I love being introduced to music. And I always enjoy introducing my friends to songs I love that they don't know already. I kind of force them upon them sometimes. It dawned on me about a year or so ago that despite the fact that music is this free product now and we have instantaneous access to any song at any time, it seems like more songs than ever are kind of falling by the wayside. I know it was definitely the case in the age of vinyl, but even when I was a kid in the 90s and early 2000s with my Walkman, buying a CD was an investment. <laughs> if I bought a CD with my own money, I was more or less stuck with it for a period of time. Chances are pretty good that I only wanted the CD for one or two songs that I knew, but because I had made that investment, I had to sort of live with that album and grow to maybe even like the songs I was inclined to pass over on the first few listens. I think now, with our unlimited access and our ability to curate playlists, it means we often seek out the songs we already know from an album and then we kind of move on. I'm guilty of it too. I also think that the cultural zeitgeist just moves so quickly now that there aren't even albums that dominate the public conversation for extended periods of time. There aren't albums like Thriller or Nevermind that are ubiquitous. The last album I can think of or that was the case was maybe Taylor Swift's 1989, Adele's 21, maybe even uh, Teenage Dream by Katy Perry, if you want to go back even further. So what I wanted to do is spotlight songs that you probably haven't heard by artists that you probably have heard of, especially if you're not a huge fan of that artist already. After all, part of what makes the best songwriters so great is the quantity of great material that they have. So what I'll be doing on this podcast is picking a song, a deep cut, if you will, a deep track, discussing the history surrounding that song. I'll break down its musical composition. I'll talk about why I love it and share any other facts that seem cool or worthwhile. So without further ado, it's time to get into the first song. Let's go. So there was only one place for me to start if I was going to do a podcast talking about songs that I love, and that would be with... The Beatles. The Beatles are the foundation of all of my musical experience and knowledge and expectations. I know it sounds so cliche, but I was watching Yellow Submarine as a six-year-old boy, and I heard the opening bars of Eleanor Rigby, and the die was cast right there. I was going to be a musician. Yet, doing a podcast about deep tracks and then starting with a Beatles song would kind of like be doing a podcast about rare sitcoms and then doing an episode of Friends. It just, it just wouldn't make sense. But 
what I could do is delve into the solo material of the Beatles and one of the Beatles in particular. That music isn't quite as uh, isn't quite as well known. It's not quite as um, a part of the public consciousness as the Beatles catalog is. So I decided to pick a Paul song because Paul is my favorite Beatle for reasons I'm sure I'll get into over the course of the podcast. Uh, the song is called Every Night. It's on the album McCartney, which is released in May of 1970. Paul writes this song sometime in 1968. His only on-the-record quote about it is that he had the first two lines laying around for a while and then ended up finishing it off on a vacation later on. What we do know for sure is that by the time Paul writes this song, the Beatles are in trouble. They all go to India in early 1968 to study meditation and come back splintered with various degrees of disillusionment. The Beatles then convene to record the White Album and Yoko Ono enters the picture, Heroin enters the picture, Ringo Starr up and quits the band for two weeks. They all can't agree on a musical direction. There's all sorts of strife. But while Paul is facing professional turmoil, his love life is beginning to blossom. He meets Linda Eastman and finds a different kind of love and connection than he'd ever had before. So this duality of melancholy and optimism starts to find its way into a lot of Paul songs from this era. And Let It Be, The Long and Winding Road, We Never Give Me Your Money on Abbey Road, just as a few examples. Paul actually brings in Every Night or the idea for Every Night to the Beatles on the sessions that would later become the Let It Be album. There is a bootleg that exists on YouTube that you can find where you hear the band, mostly Paul and John, messing around with those opening two lines, but without much else. So that aligns with the quote from Paul that I mentioned earlier, where he said he only had those opening lyrics. Every night, I just want to go out, get out of my head. Every day, I don't want to get up, get out of my bed. It's far from a fleshed out idea, to say the least. So I don't think it's at all fair to say that the Beatles rejected every night the same way the Beatles very clearly rejected a song like All Things Must Pass by George Harrison, a demo of which exists where George is playing the song as we know it from beginning to end in Twickenham Film Studios. That version actually shows up on Anthology 3 later that the Beatles put out in the 90s. Regardless, every night in its very uh, skeletal form does not see the light of day on Let It Be or any other Beatles album. So throughout... 1969 and early 1970, Paul starts messing around on a four-track studio he had had installed at his farm in Scotland and what would become the basis for his very first solo album called McCartney. The music on it is, for the most part, very raw, very primitive, and kind of experimental. You know, people are always quick to cite John Lennon as the artsy risk-taker Beatle, but McCartney has had these moments throughout his discography that are Definitely out there. If you listen to some of the songs on McCartney, you'll understand what I mean. Paul had been pushing the Beatles in a very back-to-basics kind of direction, as it was, in an attempt to remind them of their roots, and I think he was trying to save the band, personally. But on the album McCartney, you kind of wonder if maybe he's overcorrecting a little bit, <laughs> going a little far in the whole... Uh, raw direction. It's personally not one of my favorite Paul McCartney albums, but I certainly respect the initiative, and I think hindsight has shown that Paul was ahead of his time in terms of home recording. 
it's telling that despite the fact Paul is going for a, a super homemade vibe on this album, he actually does book studio time under an alias. Linda McCartney actually called the studio because that's how kind of under wraps it had to be. But he does book studio time at Abbey Road to do a more uh, proper recording on two songs. One of them is Maybe I'm Amazed, which is one of the most iconic Paul McCartney songs, including his Beatles material, though the version that eventually becomes a hit is not the one from McCartney. It's a live recording from Wings Over America that he put out years later. So that's one of the songs he goes and records, and the other one is Every Night. That indicates to me that he had high hopes for Every Night, or at least thought of it as highly as Maybe I'm Amazed, which is objectively one of McCartney's best songs. And yet Every Night is not a single, and it's just kind of there along with the rest of that McCartney album. You know, that that album was released kind of as the announcement that the Beatles were breaking up, and McCartney kind of uses it as dynamite and then runs away back to Scotland, uses that album as the means to break up the Beatles, but he obviously doesn't tour, and the album just kind of sits there. It was a number one album, but it definitely wasn't a world-beater. And then in 1979, Paul puts Every Night into the live set for the Back to the Egg era lineup of Wings, which is his band in the 70s. And Every Night has found a way of consistently sticking around Paul's live shows really ever since. It, it hasn't been in every show from every tour, but he played it on his Unplugged special in the 90s. There's a live recording of it from his Back in the U.S. album in the early 2000s. As recently as 2015, Paul was still playing it. I find that really interesting with someone with a catalog like Paul McCartney has. I mean, the man can play a three-hour show exclusively of number one hits, and that is not an exaggeration. And yet he continues to play a relatively unpopular song from his early solo career. I, for one, have a lot of respect for the fact that Paul McCartney will throw a song like Every Night into his set and not just be a human jukebox. So let's get into the nuts and bolts, musically, of Every Night. Paul is playing all the instruments on the recording, which should come as no surprise to anyone who followed his career at all. He was known to often be his own one-man band, much to the annoyance of his collaborators, so that's him playing guitar and bass and drums and singing all the vocals. We're in the key of E major, for those of you scoring at home, and the song actually begins on an E7 chord, which establishes a, a kind of tension throughout the first part of the verse. One of my favorite parts of this song is how the flip switches from this brooding, unresolved, suspended bit to something that's much more musically conventional and pleasing on every night I want to play out. Knowing he'd been sitting on the first part of that verse for a while, you can almost tell that those two parts of the verse are non-linear ideas, that one most definitely came ahead of the other. My other favorite part musically of this song is the chorus. I like the fact that Paul's singing a very catchy line, but he doesn't betray the melancholy of the song. He doesn't sing that verse and then break into, ooh, yeah, baby, baby, you know? It's a very simple, ooh, very internal. It's like something you hum to yourself when you're cleaning the gutter or something. He might have originally intended for that 
woo, to be a giraffe, just like a dummy melody until he filled in the words and then couldn't find any words and just kept it. But I find it brilliant, and I think it's one of the best parts of the song. Lyrically, I think Every Night is a perfect example of how Paul McCartney can be mislabeled and misunderstood. Again, John Lennon is believed to be the witty Beatle, and Paul just writes silly love songs, but a song like Every Night so brilliantly conveys dueling ideas at once. It's that juxtaposition between despondence and optimism. He talks about, you know, getting out of my head, leaning on a lamppost, not getting out of my bed, and yet he resolves himself by the end of the verse, saying, you know, I just want to be with you. I think his lyricism is underappreciated because he's not exactly being a wordsmith. It's not elementary penguin singing Hare Krishna, but I think it says so much by being so simple. In addition to the studio recording and the few live albums of Paul's that Every Night has made it onto, there's an exceptional cover of it by Jamie Cullum. It was done for the Art of McCartney compilation album that came out a few years back. It stays pretty true to the original. It's a little bit more piano heavy because Jamie Cullum himself is a pianist, but it's, it's truly excellent. And I guess now would be a good time to admit that until I heard that version, the Jamie Cullum version, I myself was not a big fan of the song Every Night. I had had minimal exposure to the McCartney album. And what I had heard, I wasn't impressed. I just didn't give it a second thought, really. And I didn't really even want to buy that Art of McCartney compilation album because it was a Paul McCartney karaoke, essentially. But against my better judgment, I got it and kind of skimmed through it to see how people covered or butchered Paul McCartney songs. And I got to that cover of Every Night by Jamie Cullum, and it really struck me. It's like, wow, okay, maybe I didn't give this song a fair shake. So I went back to the original and got into it, and now it's the first song on my new podcast endeavor. I wanted to start with this song, not just because of how much I love the Beatles and Paul McCartney, but because I think it embodies how songs can mean different things at different times, and they can hit us in different ways. I believe in keeping a musical curiosity, always, even for material you think you don't like. Don't ever, ever give up on a song. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed episode number one. I want to thank Kim for the technical assistance and my brother for the logo. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Patrick Goes Pop or my website www.patrickgoespop.com for updates on future episodes. Be safe, be well, and be musical. 